Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Rex Show. Today on the podcast, I have a special guest, Mr. Jason Walton, and he is the founder of Moxie Pest Control, uh, a large door-to-door sales company here in the state of Utah and all over the country. They have uh, over a thousand sales reps now that go out every single summer and knock doors and sell pest control. And Jason's story is is one where you can learn a lot of principles from what he's done. He was one of the original people in this industry back when there was just a couple handful of people and has grown and he's had certain exits and he's just a guy that I look up to in a lot of ways ever since the first time I met him I knew he was somebody I want to have on the podcast somebody that just has success principles that he lives by and you can tell that from the time you meet him you can tell that this is a man that has his stuff together and uh, there's a lot to learn in this podcast I really enjoyed my visit with him so without further ado let's get to the show with Mr. Jason Walton. Uh, well, Jason, it's a pleasure to have you here on the podcast, man. You're, you're one of the original gangsters of the summer sales industry. I mean, you've been in this game, I think, since I was on my mission. I, maybe you can dive into that a little bit when you got started and how, because it's so, been so fun for me to watch as this whole thing has evolved and watch, you know, all the different players in the summer sales industry or the door-to-door industry now, I guess you could call it even more so. But, um, and I mean, you've been here since the very beginning. You know, if it's not if it's not thirty years, it's twenty nine or twenty. It's been a long time. Like I think I think it was the first time was nineteen ninety three. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was it was when I got into the security industry. My memory serves me right. There was no one selling solar. There was nobody selling alarms that I knew of. And even if I remember right, even Todd Peterson over at Vivint was was in the pest control game. So yeah, it's it's been a minute. And there also there also weren't very many people. I think that I would guess that the the summer the first summer before I began. I'll bet there was not more than 200 people total. Wow. <laughs> Industry-wide. <laughs> and was the original door-to-door, like, was was Pest kind of one of those, was because it seems that was the first thing that kind of took off or that people started doing. Before that, I mean, it was like encyclopedias and just kind of random stuff, right? That sounds right to me. I, I don't really, that sounds right. I don't really remember because I didn't know what really came before. I'm just like anyone else today. You kind of know Maybe what's there and then maybe right before you. But yeah, let's go with encyclopedias. Well, when I got in, it was funny because I started selling door-to-door in 2002. Um, I got home from my mission and and I sold meat door-to-door for, you know, three years I did it, but it was year round. So it was like the equivalent of doing maybe, you know, seven, eight summers or something. But, uh, and it was funny. I remember when I first started, I was like, well, nobody's going to buy meat off somebody door to door, but I went out for one day and it forever changed my life. And that's, what's cool about what you've been able to do like this. You know, everyone talks about this Utah community in the Utah industry and the, the entrepreneurship of Utah. And I think a lot of it can be traced back to people getting their feet wet, selling door to door. Like I think everybody, everybody should do it at least for a summer or one time because you grow so much, you learn so much when you have to knock on random stranger door and, and pitch them a product. I know for me, when I was selling meat, I remember my first day I sold in about an hour and a half. I made like 275 bucks selling steak and chicken and it blew the doors open of my life because I went, wait, my worst case scenario is I'm making six figures hawking meat door to door. And it just, my mind just expanded that day and and never went back. That's funny. You know, we had, I had Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street in my office just not that long ago. And he said almost the same story. I don't Mm. know if you knew that. Yeah, he he, sold meat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, He said meat. I think he was telling fish, but he was telling a, a couple of very specific stories but his, his take was exactly what you just said. And I think there's a lot to that. I mean, I agree. I think that there's a tremendous amount, tremendous amount to gain uh, through learning how to do door-to-door sales. And I think even when I was getting started, some of the uh, 
prevailing successful people in, in the United States, not, not, not talking about in a specific industry, when they were said, they were asked, what do you recommend to be successful? They said, you should go sell stuff door to door, try direct sales. And I mean, my only, the only thing I would add to that is to say that when you start, when you're, when you're young, like college age, like most of the kids are that, that we work with, young adults, um, you're kind of just cutting your feet on what your principles are, what your ethics are, and who you are as a person, and what you are and are not willing to do. So my suggestion, my strongest suggestion, is that people should spend more time coming up with their own first creation of who they are as an individual. What do I value? Who am I? Who do I want to be? When I when I pass away, who? What do I want people to think of me and remember about me? And if they took a truth serum at my funeral and they were going to talk about me, what, what do I want them? To, what would I want them to say? And um, because if you don't have those principles in thought out before you begin, then my experience is that you, you tend to go down a path. It's just very, very, very easy to do things that are unethical, maybe do things that your mother wouldn't be very proud of. Well, the way I always say that is some decisions you only have to make once in life, but you need to make them up front because when the moment arises, right, and you're, if you haven't decided, I'm going to do this honestly, I'm going to do this ethically, um, then the moment comes and they're always going to come because they're going to test you. And then you find out who you are. And if you haven't really made up your mind of how you want to be or the kind of person you're going to be going forward, you're going to make those decisions, you know, off of what's urgent as opposed to what's ultimately what you want in the end. And, you know, I remember when I got into real estate, I told my assistant at the time, and he's now my you know business partner with and everything else. He's been with me for 13, 14 years. And I told him very early on, I said, we always do things by the book. If there's ever any information somebody needs to know, they know it. Like we never keep stuff. We always be, and I said, people are going to come after us because we're going to be the number one sales team and people are going to be trying to take us down. We are going to give them nothing. And in 17 years sold over 7,000 homes between me and my partners. We've never had one, one ethics violation. We had one time we had our name on Facebook, just on our Facebook page written wrong. And we got fined by the board for that. That's the only thing I've ever had go against me in real estate, because I just told him, I said, no matter what, we always err on the side of like, I made that decision one time. We don't have to. So when the client calls and he says, Hey, just sign it for me. I don't have time. I was like, we don't do that. We can't do that. Like, there's always stuff. And the client's like, dude, you're kind of annoying. I'm like, I don't care. Like, you need to do this. Because if this goes wrong, you can be like, I never signed that. My client and my agent did, you know. And so anyway, it's to your point. I think that's super valuable. Hey, Jimmy, though, that's amazing. Over 7,000 homes that you sold. You have become the top. And it's amazing that you've had just that one thing. I mean, that that speaks a lot to this fastidiousness and the, and the level of your, this fastidiousness to your commitment to detail, but also the... The, uh, the level of commitment you've had to your ethics. Yeah. Well, my partner, Tyler, you know, he does pure investment properties and he's sold about 4,000. So like oh. a, just a number of those are just, cr but we, he, I, I love being in business with him and my brother, Dale, same thing. My, my assistant, Chris, you know, my partner there, because every single thing that we do, I can give them the thing and I don't have to worry. That's why people are always like, how do you always have so much time? It's like, cause I'm not worrying about what my team's doing. I know it's getting taken care of. I know it's done the right way. Same thing with you. I know the people that work for you. I know, you know, Mike Fleming's a close friend of mine and this Second, the second I, you know, knew who you were, I literally already gave you huge credibility in my eyes because I knew Mike so well. I said, if Mike's chosen to be in business with this guy, it tells me everything I need to know. And that it really does. Like you're an extension of the people that you end up having and teaching and, and the people that are both above you and below you. Well said. I actually thought the, I thought the same of you when, when, when I found out you were friends with Mike, Mike's an incredible person. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a 
a great group of partners. And Jimmy, you might be able to tell I'm, I'm more than 30 years old. <laughs> and I, I say that because getting back to, to just piggyback on your point, um, I actually haven't seen, not saying people can't change and don't change. I'm just saying that in my 30 year plus run in the industry, I haven't seen people change the way they do things. Mm -hmm. Meaning that the people who made the decisions early, like you did, 20, 25 years later, they're still making those decisions, just like you said. But the flip side is also true. I'm not saying people don't change. I'm just saying that the people that I see that, that did not make those decisions and they are behaving unethically, and let's face it, anyone who knows the summer sales industry probably has been around a group of people where afterwards they feel like they need to go take a shower. Mm -hmm. So because it's just something's not right. And, and I haven't seen that that changes either. And I've seen the destruction that that happens to marriages, personal relationships, just to everything. I mean, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And it's just so critically important that that, that that ethical foundation is set early. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I had a business opportunity come to me maybe four or five years ago. It was my real estate mentor. He's, I mean, I have the highest respect for this guy. This guy, his the he was my coach for real estate for probably six, seven years. I mean, this guy's like a beast. I love this man. But he had this investment opportunity land on his desk. And anybody that's done enough investing, you kind of know what to look for because you probably lost a few deals along the way by not knowing what you're doing. You learn the hard way or you, you know, you meet people that can mentor you. And he put this, he's like, dude, this deal. And it was, it was right when CBD was blowing up and marijuana in Canada and the whole thing. And it was, had all of the red flags already. And it was like, no dude. And he showed me and he was, he goes, I just put 500 grand in. I'm like, oh geez, like that is a lot for this dude. And I just, I said, well, let me take it and look at it. I Google it and I see the guy that's in charge of it had been indicted for fraud. And I was like, I'm done. I don't need to know anything else. And I went back to him and I was like, Hey man, like you need to know this, this guy. And he goes, Oh man. And he's like, I didn't know that. And I was like, dude, like this, this is dirty. This is shady. Like I guarantee you're going to lose your money here. And he's like, Oh man, I just love the opportunity. I was like, I know it sounds good, but you're being pitched by a pitch man. Like this is why it sounds good. So anyway, long story short, he gets this guy on the phone with me and I start probing the hard questions and the guy starts getting mad. Like if you don't, if you don't, can't find forgiveness for people, Jimmy, I know what kind of guy you are. It's just totally like trying to put it on me, you know, gaslighting me and all these things. And I was like, it's okay, dude. I, I don't need to invest with you. It's all good. Well, fast forward five years, he lost all his money. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's pretty obvious to me. But the point of that is, is to your point, you've got to look at what people have actually done. Like what's their real track record? Like if people, people are consistent to your point, <laughs> like people will show you who they are. Just watch, like pay attention and you'll get a pretty good feel for who people are. People reveal, reveal the values through their actions. Mm. And you're right. I think, I think in all industries, not just mine, but I, so I'll speak to mine though. I think too many people too often you wave a few dollar bills in front of them and promise how it's going to be different. And people will just not look at the past, not consider it, not realize that that same thing has been used by that same person, maybe for five, 10, 15 years. And, uh, but all of a sudden now it's going to be magically different. And so, uh, again, I think we're both saying people, people can change, but I think it's very, very wise to look at the history of individuals and look at the history of, of companies, institutions that we're, we choose to partner with. Because I, I think that when we say, I'm, I think that like-minded people are attracted to each other. They just yeah, coalesce. They are. Yeah. And, and so I think, uh, I think when we say, Hey, I want to partner with Jimmy Rex, or if I want to partner with this business or this business, you're casting a vote that says, this is me. There's a connection. I stand for this. I belong here. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. Well, for you, you, I mean, you got in early and then you kind of had a really good exit early on, I believe. Right. And then you kind of took some time off to kind of walk through your timeline a little bit because you've, what you've done, I mean, you have how many reps going out this year? Oh, it's over a thousand. I mean, over a thousand reps. Okay. And you've consistently had this business where you guys have grown, grown, grown. And one yeah. of the things with my business in my life is I've never actually been great at growing because I didn't like scaling. I like to, um, for me, it was quality of life. And for me to travel and play and do all the things I wanted to do, I couldn't scale it like you're supposed to in real estate, right? I never took on a hundred agents underneath me in a brokerage or something like that. I mean, I could have gone that route, but I never wanted to really do that. But I'm always fascinated by people that have been able to scale so well and be able to build because that's ultimately what you should be doing in business. But for you, you it was kind of an interesting path from what I gathered from talking to, to you and just kind of studying your story, but because you built it, sold it. Took some time off, then came back. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's, if it's okay, I'm going to start with what you didn't ask. I heard you say twice, like once I heard you say, I chose not to do that. And I could have. Two, I heard you once or twice say, that's what you're supposed to do business. I just want to pause and say, no, it isn't. <laughs> Fair enough. There is nothing wrong. I mean, absolutely nothing wrong. You owe the world no apology for doing what you wanted to do. That's I think true. That's I shouldn't what, say that because I wouldn't do it different. That's exactly right. <laughs> People do not have any duty to scale. Scaling is not better than not scaling. So the, the, it's it's an option, mm -hmm. and it's nice to be able to look and weigh out the pros and cons. of. And you laid some of them out. Quality of life, time, headache. There's other things, right? Yeah, of whether yeah. or not you want to do that. So I... I am not suggesting that good business people scale and bad business people don't. I think good business people cement their values and they know who they are, what they want. They have an effective first creation of saying, this is what I'm going to do. They have a great value proposition that says, this is how I'm going to compete and win in the marketplace. And this is how I'm going to make people's lives better, life's be life better. And then, and then they go execute. That's what a good business person does is that they, they, they have a plan and they execute the plan that's principle centered. Uh, Getting back to your question, was, which was, I think you said, hey, you got in, you, you had an exit, and then you got out. Yeah. yeah, so when I first got in the industry, um, I worked for a company called Eclipse Marketing while I was in college and had a great experience there. I did that for five years. Uh, when I graduated, I went and started my, my first pest control company with a partner, and I had branches in, in um, Dallas and one in Atlanta. Mm. And then I actually sold my interest to the partner. There was a, that was an earlier exit you probably didn't even hear about. Oh, wow. Okay. I founded Moxie. I set up the company right around the December of 2020 or January 2001. Sorry, 2000, 2000 yeah. or, or, or January of 2001. So my first summer with Moxie, right at the end of the summer, 9-11 happened. Oh, geez. Yeah, and I remember I was in my branch listening about it and then ran home and unfortunately saw the towers you know, collapse. And uh, it was a tragic thing. But the plan was for me to just, I owned all of Moxie and the plan was just to build it large. And uh, a few years later, my son uh, was born. He was born extremely prematurely and suffered a lot of very, very, very serious medical complications. He wasn't expected to make it. Mm. And when he, when he did, we were told that we needed to spend a lot of our time um, helping him. And enough time to where I thought, I need to exit. And so it was, the decision to exit then was, was for my family. And so we did. And we literally spent uh, three years pretty much full-time, especially my wife, uh, taking care of our son, who's doing really, he's a freshman at UVU right now. That's actually. awesome. Yeah, 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 he's doing great. But as a result of that, I, I it, it was an exit in that I, I did exit and liquidate assets. And and then from, from then I moved from Dallas to San Diego. And the way I kept one foot in, one foot out was I um, felt some loyalty, some pe people who've been loyal to me. So I helped them set up 
moxie companies that we had joint ownership in okay yeah and then then well, and one of the cool parts about that uh, about your industry i've always i talked to mike about this and the cool thing about the way that you set it up is you kind of have that end buyer set up or it has been in the past like it's been where you could build it and you had a, a built-in person that would acquire you or or you could sell it to and that's i think you guys did that a couple of times which was probably nice to know that if i build this the right way if i do this the right way i know my strategy for you know for what's next yeah i mean i think one thing i would uh i would say on that subject i would say anyone starts a business especially if you're looking to scale it or you have partners to it's very important to plan how you're going to exit yeah and, and how that's going to happen not not necessarily you don't necessarily have to know who the buyer is but it's important as you put together that agreement that you put have an agreement where you're putting in what the exit strategy is yeah the exit well plan. it's the first question i ask when i'm going to invest is okay how are we getting paid out like how yeah. what's the exit here because you know i was explaining to my podcast producer before you got here actually i was talking about investing and talked about i'm a you know i have a bunch of money in stan socks well i put that in a long time ago it's done amazing the company but there's never been an exit there's never been uh yeah. any kind of so i i don't see a dollar from that, right? There's no dividends or anything. Um, same thing with, you know, I got a lot of money now in Entrada software and they're talking about finally going public after 15, 16, 17 years. But until they do, there's no money there. It's not like you have something you can just turn around and sell tomorrow on an open market. And so you really need to, whether you're starting your own business or investing in a business, it's so important to know, all right, what is the exit? How are we going to actually get paid out on this? Yeah, if you want me to elaborate a little bit more, you, you, some of the ways that I've done that is that you build in option contracts into in in there. Mm. So if if Mike Fleming, for example, decided that he wanted to cash out and wanted an exit, contractually has a put in that he can, he knows there's a path of how to do that. Mm. Very cool. And so that was pre thought out before we ever began. So and that's the same with myself with all my partners. Um, you know when when. When I started that shared ownership model, which was in about two, I don't remember what the year was, but it was right after my son was born. I really spent about three to seven years taking care of my son. I did some of the shared ownership, but back then the the object wasn't to get big. It was it was in, it was to help Mike Fleming, it was to help Tim Hedrick, it was to help Phil Nielsen, uh, John Clark, my individual partners, and really that was the end for me. It was I want to take care of these individuals and help them reach their goals. And then as they they started getting bigger. Then they started saying, and I even made them say, how much money do you want to make? They mm. said, this much. Got into that side. I said, okay, be happy at that size. And of course, that's a that was a silly pie dream. It's, it's weird, <laughs> Jimmy, but I was I, they hit a certain size. I'm like, can't we all just be happy at this size? We don't have to scale. We don't need to get bigger. Look, you can live great lives. I was trying to say, look, at, look if I knew you, I would have said, look at Jimmy Rex. Like, there's no reason that you need to add more branches. <laughs> and uh, they were they were insistent. And so then we, we retooled a model and built out a platform of a foundation for several years, mm. putting together the brand, the culture, the expertise, and pest control while everyone else was blowing up um, to build a long-term sustainable business. So it's not it's not our, I mean, like my, my branch in San Diego, that's existed for 15, 16 years. So we're, we're not building with an, a, an exit in mind. Got it. You just, yeah. it, you have it there, but you're not trying to build it that way. At the same we're time. building a long-term yeah, long yeah. Pe people ask me all the time. Cause they see other people who are just build, sell, build, sell, build. Yeah, sell. Yeah. The problem with that is like, how do you, how do you make that a sustainable culture? So like if I'm hiring you to work as my office staff or I'm hiring someone to come in and be a, a field experts, which we call people who serve as accounts, how, how is it motivational for you to build quality or see a career when, when you say, yeah, we're doing this for a three-year exit? Yeah. As opposed to like really saying, hey, our vision is to provide the best 
customer experience, the best pest control service end to end, that, that there's going to be no one in the world that's going to field a, a team of office staff and pest control people that know pest control as well as, as we do. Mm-hmm. And, and not just know pest control, but then how to deliver it so that we're going to structure the compensation, the routes, so that you have the, the, the knowledge and the resources to, to deliver a service that no one else is willing to do. They're just not willing to train that much. They're not willing to do it. And then when, when you do something like that, then it builds the sense of honor and pride and integrity into the individual people who says, I'm really proud of what I do. And I see a career here. Well, and I keep my ear to the ground with all the different companies just because I, I run with all the circles. I'm always getting yeah. asked to speak to all the different companies. And I will say your company has a reputation of servicing the clients better than anybody else that I've talked to because, and that's so valuable because if you're a sales guy, you know, and you go out and you sell whatever, 500 accounts, well, if only 60 of them end up staying in, you're losing 40% of your accounts or even whatever that number is. So that attrition rate is so important. And that's where having systems, making sure that everything else is dialed in because the last thing you want to do as a salesperson is sell something and then it falls out on the back end because they're not getting it taken care of. And so you can tell, I think that's a big service ad that you guys have. And it makes sense now after listening to you of why you've spent so much time and effort in that because you are known yeah. for that. Yeah. So it was only about once we had that foundation built, then it was only five or six years ago that we, we began to scale. So I see for me, it looks like some of the competitors now they got big and then they were looking to exit and then they say, Hey, maybe we want to do a big, that's very hard to build a tall building and then say, now I want to build a foundation. Mm. So while everyone was building their skyscrapers, we were focusing on the foundation. And the foundation is coming up with a plan. What What is the value that, we, that we're delivering? What's the long-term value for the customer? And then the hardest part, Jimmy, is because an extension of a brand culture that people just ignore is your employees. Mm-hmm. It's internal. That your brand, your the culture of your company sh- is should be synonymous with your actual branding. If there's If there is a difference between what it is to be in your business on a daily basis as employee and what you're telling the consumers that you are, that that, that difference or that variance is going to cost you because the consumers or your employees are going to figure that out. Yeah, That's a long way of saying that the big win for us and for any business that wants to be a long-term run is to come up with a vision that everybody internally buys into and you win the hearts and minds of your employees, of your own team, so that everyone has this absolute passion for the mission of the of the business if you can't do that and you're using stick and carrot uh, I'm, I'm just saying it's at least at least my experience is you're not gonna be able to deliver a very quality quality product product yeah no i agree well once you get people to buy into the whole vision of everything and they can see it it's not just like you can't just talk about culture right you either have it or you don't it's like telling somebody i need you to like me more i need you to love me more it's like <laughs> no, exactly. you do or you don't it's or like threatening. how you're showing up to that person yeah or right? threatening them and saying or browbeating right. or all that whatnot or like you know that uh, there, there's a lot of yeah Hey guys, Jimmy here. Uh, I just want to take a quick break from the podcast to let you know about my new done for you podcast studio, Rookery Studios. When I first started out my podcast, I, I quickly learned how big of an investment it was. The money required to put into good equipment, the skills needed for editing, and the overall time commitment that it took. I realized that these are the reasons that other people really never start their podcasts. And after doing now 325 episodes here on The Jimmy Rex Show, I thought it was time I help make podcasting easier for those of you who have 
want to start out, but have the same issues that I did. So here at Rookery Studios, we took care of everything for you, making your voice easy to share. We provide the highest quality audio and video equipment. We do all the recording, editing, and even posting to the platforms that you want your podcast to be on, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or any others. All you have to do is come into the studio at your scheduled time and everything else, everything is handled for you. Uh, so if you're here in Utah and you're looking to get a start on your podcast and you don't really know where or how to start, or you're just tired of dealing with the hassle of doing it all yourself, come check us out at the studio. We're super affordable. Your first episode also is on us. You can learn more about Rookery Studios on our website at rookerystudio.com or by messaging us on Instagram at Rookery Studios. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, and so, I mean, it's such a competitive industry, right? Like that's one thing about where we live is, you know, I don't know how the numbers got to be 50,000 kids running around with one different sales company or another. It's gotta be a lot. I mean, it's a lot. And so how have you been able to create enough of a value proposition to, cause if I was 21 years old, you know, whatever, I'm decide I want to go sell door to door. I wouldn't have the first clue to know what's the right way or where's the right place. Like how have you been able in this competitive industry? How have you been able to, um, I guess, create that value proposition to, to the kids? So our value proposition has always been centered on our core values. So it's, it's always been the hearts and minds of, of, of the salespeople, the technicians, we call them field experts. Uh, the value proposition has always been the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So we say that if you want to come work, do a summer sales program, your highest, your highest priority should be to enhance your character of integrity. Mm. And so we are trying to create a culture where we're surrounding ourselves with people who value integrity, gratitude, hard work, making, keeping commitments, and specifically commitments that are principle-centered. Mm. And we we say, look, when you define what success is for the summer, your highest, your highest value has to be that you're living principle-centered, that you are setting measurable goals on how you're going to enhance character-centered living. And if anything else is going to be a failure, the worst thing that can happen, Jimmy, and this is what we tell people, is if you go make a ton of money and you do it in a non-principle-centered way, so that's a bad thing, right? Because so like if, if, if you're really good, for example, look at the values I just said. I said uh, integrity, gratitude, mm -hmm. hard work, keeping commitments. So if you are um, really good at working hard, keeping commitments, and then you're really good sales skills of persuading people, we still don't really know if you would fit most religious definitions of God or Satan. Because most people would agree that both of them are really good at working hard, making keep commitments, and persuading people. The question is, what are you persuading people to do? Mm. And that's why the highest values, in my opinion, have to be on integrity and gratitude. Uh, having gratitude, I'm not talking about just sending people a text because it was a goal, but thinking of how other people have helped you mm. in your life. Whose shoulders am I standing on? A lot of times, whose face am I standing on? And then to like feel that gratitude, and then once you bathe in that for a while, then to express it on a regular basis that helps that is so healing it, for those who are in like these competitive environments that, that that tend to develop selfish me monsters yeah and then the other thing is it's, it's integrity so if it is it is problematic when you were willing to convince something someone to do something that you don't think is in their best interest and think about that right if you're willing to go convince someone to do something that you don't think is right isn't that what most people would say that 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 darknesses that the, the dark powers that are that do so we, we 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 it's very important it's very important that we're only willing to convince people to do things that are in their best interest meaning 
we don't think someone should have a pest control service, then don't sell them a pest control service. Right. And if we think that the pest control service they're working for is good, or we know that they have the company is has a bad history of doing bad things or not paying people or whatever, should you really be recruiting your friends there? Or are you recruiting your friends there knowing that it's not in their best interest? But gosh, this company gave you an incredible bonus for you personally to bring them in. And so now you're trading the trust that these good people have in you to just go bring them along, knowing it's not in their best interest because it's in your best interest. Well, it's funny that you say that because the real estate market in Utah got pretty crazy the last few years. And I was, for about a seven, eight year span, I sold a ton of investors' homes. I mean, I was so good at finding the right investment properties, but there was one principle that we don't violate when we're selling an investment property, and that is the property has to cash flow. If it's an investment property, I don't care how much it might go up in value. I don't care what the everybody thinks is a good idea. If it doesn't cash flow, we won't sell it to a client unless the client's just whatever begging us to do it. But, and what happened is about two and a half years ago, the numbers in Utah got a little tricky. It got a lot harder to find cash flow properties. And I went through the downturn. And so I've had this, I mean, I sat across from people that were divorcing in front of me because they bought bad investment properties, literally friends of mine. And That's I got terrible. this PTSD from it, but I made a rule in my business. I'm like, I will never sell somebody a home I wouldn't buy myself if it was, you know, the deal wise. And we got this weird spot where I had all these investors like, hey, I got all this money. What do I do with it? And there was nothing that I could honestly like wanted to sell them. And so we ended up going, we said, well, what, what, where does it cash flow? We, we interviewed, we went all over the country, 93 markets we studied and we found these other markets that were crushing cash flow. And so what we did is we, I mean, we took a lot of, and this is where Tyler's such a genius, my partner but he set up these systems to be able to sell people properties in all these other states. And it's so cool now because um, over the last, you know, two, three years, I see people on Instagram, other agents and stuff, and they're selling their clients a $570,000 townhome that's, you know, not going to cash flow, especially if the market ever turns even a little bit. All these properties, I'm seeing all the same mistakes made that I like saw before. And I'm like, oh boy, but our clients, I mean, we've been selling these properties around 200 grand, 220 that are cash flow. And, you know, they're renting them for 1600 a month, 1700 a month in wow. great cities, newer homes. And you know, I got one client just, I get tagged in these posts all the time, but he just bought his ninth one from us. I mean, he's set up for life with these investors and no other agent. I mean, I give Tyler the credit cause he's the one that really had the idea of this, but no other agent could have done for these clients what we were able to do. Everybody else is just selling them stuff here because that's what they know, right? Or they maybe they refer them to another place. But we've been able to sell now. We sold over almost 400 investment homes just last year doing this to you know different markets where every single one of those houses is cash flowing. So if the market turns, because this is what I tell people in, in real estate, it's like, look, if the market turns and drops 20% tomorrow, if you're still glad you own the home, you have a great property. If you're like, shoot, why do I have this property? Then you probably shouldn't have bought it in the first place. And that's kind of my litmus test for how we do this. Cause if you're cash flowing, you just keep renting it, paying it off. Like it's you're, you're collecting money every month. And so to your point, I can't sell good if I don't believe in the product. Like I can't do it. I, I cannot sell somebody a property if I don't believe it. And so I kept talking myself out of deal after deal in Utah. And in hindsight, maybe a lot of those people should have bought because the market's gone up 40%, but nobody knew that was going to happen. What we knew was if the market doesn't, we need to make sure they can cash flow whatever they buy. And so I think that's the most valuable thing as a salesperson is you got to be bought into your product. You have to believe in it because if you're just selling people, ultimately that that's going to catch up to you real quick. And, and honestly, you're not going to show up with a good energy. If you know the client shouldn't be buying that thing, whether it's pest control or solar on their house or, uh, or a house itself. 
You know, this is this is your podcast. Do you care if I ask you two questions? Of course. They're, they're no, no, this is a okay. conversation, man. That's, that's all good. Okay, so the first question is, is after everything you just said, um, and this is a yes or, yes or no kind of answer. Um, because you only want to sell properties and you made that decision, and that's your brand, it's your culture, it's, your, it's the you just helped describe to me what your value proposition is. Mm. That's the first time I've heard it from you, right? Does it does that help you go to sleep better at night? Oh yeah, yeah. I sleep like a rock. <laughs> yeah, because because you know you're, it's principal centered yeah. living. Well, and, and here's the other cool part of that is I have 400 investors waiting that if I say buy this, they'll buy it. 400. No, not not even joking. I don't even have to explain anymore because they know I would never sell them something because I've talked them out of property so many damn times. That's my second question. My second question is that early on it could be, I'm guessing, it could be tempting to want to very... cheat, to want to try to cut a corner. But but now that you have have a pattern of principle centered uh, behavior, have you found that people come back and refer people to you? Oh yeah, I mean, what, my entire business from two thousand so from two thousand five to two thousand ten, I was pounding the phones every morning, three four hours every morning, never missed. That's how I built my business. Um, but I got exhausted, and then it got really hard to sell homes. Everybody was upside down, and I was going to get out of real estate actually in two thousand ten. I just didn't enjoy anymore. It was so hard to sell houses. I had I had to carry forty listings to sell one every week, you know, and it was just a brutal market. And my coach was like, well, let's just change it and let's just start doing what you want to do to have fun. And so that's when I changed my whole business and I started throwing all the parties and doing all the events and social media and all these other things I started doing. And, um, and ultimately I started being able to, um, kind of pick how I wanted to work or whatever else. And in that time frame, I had, I had all these other homes I could have, like all these other ways I could have sold or I could have done it, but I was able to actually do the business exactly the way I wanted it to be where I just fell in love with real estate because all I did all day was hang out with my friends, give them, I looked at ourselves as more real estate consultants than an agent. And I'm me and Ty are the only ones I know that do this still, but we have a sit down with our clients every few months, six to 12 months. And we go through like, Hey, here's your portfolio. Here's your strategy. Where are you trying to go? And they just, they're just like, yeah, tell me what to buy next. Tell me what to do. And every single one of them, um, I don't, I mean, find me one person that has had a bad experience. There's not one because they, every one of them knows if they're Jimmy's recommending it, he knows he's done the work. He's an expert at this. And so it's just made it really fun to be in real estate that way. I've never had to worry about people being, you know, getting hurt by their investment or doing it wrong. Um, I know when the pandemic hit, it was kind of a weird time for like two weeks. And maybe that was for you guys too. You're like, are Absolutely. we going to even have sales? Are we going to just, yep. for us as real estate agents, there was like a two week period where, we didn't know if homes were going to crash or the whole economy, whatever. And I, I was selling a house to this woman. I used to date her like years before and her and her husband got like five kids now. And like, I really care about this person as I wanted them to, you know, and they were getting this house for like three forty, and it was, you know, it was a good deal. And the market all of a sudden it was like this time, exactly two years ago. And I was almost going to talk her out of it. And I was like, Jimmy, she's got five kids. She's got to live somewhere. Like, cause I didn't know what was going to happen. I was like, man, I don't want her to lose her butt here. Like I was like so nervous for her. I was more nervous for her than she, I'm sure they weren't nervous at all. They were just like, but they were trusting me hundred percent. So I was like, let's go back to the seller. And if we can get it down 10 grand, I say, we stay in the deal. And they're like, okay. And so the seller literally dropped it another 10 K. Cause it was like that chaotic period. It's the house is probably worth 600 grand now. It's only been two years. I mean, if I had talked them out of that, I'm like, sometimes I got to get out of my own way, but I was so worried, but it yep. was like, but I was so glad that, you know, I listened in anyway, but that's to your point. It makes it really fun to be able to do it when you know you're getting that outcome. Taking care of people works and it doesn't take very long when people realize whether or not you have their best interests in mind mm -hmm. and adopting a business philosophy, no matter what the business is, 
that you're going to take care of people. It just works. People are going to eventually know whether or not you have their best interests in mind. And mm -hmm. that's just that, that in the long run, the, the long-term play is to deliver value and take care of people you do business with and people you work with. Yeah. Well, you work with a lot of young people. You probably do a lot of mentoring and advice and things like that, which is a really cool part of what you get to do because there's so much fulfillment in growth and contribution. That's why Mike and your other guys want to keep growing because that's how you stay fulfilled, right? And, you know, f again, for me, I was growing in other ways and other businesses and things. That's how I satisfied that. But with these young guys, they come in. Um, I mean, it's such a weird time. Everything's at its peak. Like, no, I don't don't trust me putting my money in the stock market cryptos in really weird space real estate's crazy like what are you advising these young kids to do because if i i think about it right now if I, I was 21 right now i'd be like pissed like wh where's the opportunity for investment and things like that how are you advising these young guys i have a lot of guys in their 20s that listen to this podcast like what are you advising them to do with their money when they make it um that's a great question what i the thing i advise them to do with their money is to be a little bit riskier with their money now than they would be with their older mm. so i mean i had a i mean that's how i did it i just said Same. i'm willing to take this level of risk th this percentage of my my investment portfolio in risky investments what we'll call them it was more like 70 percent. <laughs> that's just me i'm not i'm not suggesting that everyone should do that until i turned 30. yeah and after i turned 30 then I, it, it kind of flipped and, and what I can put into risky investments. What I encourage young people to do is do their homework. So because at the end of the day, the knowledge that you carry with you is growing, growing, growing. So if you're interested in crypto, great, go investigate crypto, go follow it, learn something about it. If you, uh, but, but the main advice I give to young people is, the, is what you should be investing in is you should be investing in yourself. And so like, go figure out, think long and hard of who you are. Again, principle centered, what's your first creation? What do you want from your life? What's important to you? What are the principles that you value? And then on a, on a daily day basis, making key commitments that are helping you build to who you want to become. And then when it comes to, to investing, invest in yourself, whether that's investing in education. You, know, you maybe you've read the book Outliers that says, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to be an expert in something. 10,000 hours. Yeah, put in your 10,000 hours. So choose what you want to put your 10,000 hours into. And, uh, and that'll probably be the best investment you can make. Well, I love that advice. I was uh, went to lunch with a kid, and he's a summer sales kid, actually. He's a little manager of, you know, 20, 30 guys. And he, he wanted to know, he goes, hey, where do I put my money? And I have about 100 grand. And I said, well, first off, if you're not making at least... 400 grand a year, probably maybe 500 grand a year. You don't have the skill set to invest outside of yourself yet. Like you should put, I said, invest half of it into your own skills, into yourself, go to these webinars, go to the or conferences, go to these, you know, get a coach, get, just invest in yourself first, invest the time and effort into yourself to get better. Because if, if you're not making at least a half a million bucks a year, like you aren't the asset yet. You know, like once yeah. you get to a point where you just know, like if this market collapses, you and I aren't worried about that because we're like, we're the asset. I know I can go, I'm going to find a way to make that a great situation. I just will. I know I have enough skills. I have enough abilities. And so, and then I told him, I said, take the other half of whatever you're going to invest in. You can buy one house or something like, congratulations, you got 400 bucks a month coming in. No, put 50 grand into your own education, put 50 grand into your guys and build them up with the other part. That's what I told them. I said, invest in your team, invest in you, because you guys aren't the asset yet. Yep. And that was my best advice I had for him, but. I'll be honest, the, 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 what I tell them actually, because I think you were asking me, the, your question was more specific, like specifically where do you tell them to put their money? I don't. And the reason I don't is because I'm not qualified. Sure. You and I tell, <laughs> what I tell them is, I am not a qualified investment specialist. So I say, here's what I did. I recommend that you meet with a qualified investment specialist and one that really has your best interest in mind. Then what I do is I invite people who I know, who I think 
are principal centered and I have them come in uh, and and give presentations and introduce them to all our people and say, I'm not I'm not saying you should choose these people, but I'm, I'm helping provide you some contacts. Ask Jimmy Rex to come by the office. Talk to everybody, say, hey, if you're interested in real estate, Jimmy Rex is a good man. So, you know, to the extent that he'll do business with you, here's a direction you should go with real estate. If you're looking to do, you know, land, other not land, but other type of investments, then here are some other people that do wealth management and, yeah. and um, that, that I think are good. And so I try to, I try to, I try to not extend myself into things that are not my area of expertise. And once again, I do that because I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it's good for me to go tell people when I'm unqualified. Well, and that's like, even me, like if people say they want to buy commercial, I usually don't represent them. Like very rarely, I know the market well enough to do it. I say, hey, I don't do that, but here's a guy. And I refer yeah. them. Or if they're like, want to buy up in, you know, like... Logan. I'm like, I'm not your guy. I don't know that market up there. And so I'll refer them to an agent or an expert in that area. It's the reason why in these other markets that we chose, you know, Florida and Arkansas, we went and found the best teams there and they find us the properties. We can run the numbers and see what, you know, how it makes sense on a, on a spreadsheet. But ultimately we hire the best people. Cause yeah, it's very important. I think to yep. stay in your lane. Um, Cause we have their best interest in mind. Yeah. Right. And yep. we also know that like taking care of them in the right way, is also has our best interest in mind too, right? Because we sleep well at night Yep. and it always comes back. It's to always going to come back. It's like these, you know, the homes we sell in these other States, I make about a fourth of the commission. What I would, if I sold them something in Utah. Yeah. And so like short term, you're like, I'm like, shit, we did that many houses and that's all that we made on it. Like, yep. it's not that much, you know? Yeah. And you're like looking at it and you're like, huh? Like I literally made as much off of two sales last year out of 120 that I sold the guys out of state. No joke. But that being said, I'm playing the long game where I know all these people are clients for life. They're not going anywhere. They're going to just say you had 400 investors on the sideline. Yeah, I, I know. That. How did you do that? It's for behaving like that. Yeah. Making those kind of choices. Yeah. And they know that too. They can feel it. They're sure. like, wow, this is really cool. Like Jimmy didn't try to just throw me in something to get that. People but. know if you have their best interest in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, uh, maybe outside of, um, just business. I mean, it's so easy to talk business with you. You got so much experience. I'm <laughs> selfishly, I'm like wanting to get all the answers myself, but, um, where do you, how do you decide at this point in your life? where to spend your time. That's a question that I have really evolved a lot over the last couple of years myself. And you know, I've, I've health becomes more important being alone actually for me is uh, it's the hardest thing. It's counterproductive to what I think I should be doing, but it's the thing I'm working the hardest on right now is not needing to be doing a million things and all that. But like, how do you decide where you put your time? Where do you put your attention? Yeah. So I, I have a group of, I have like all my roles listed out what I am, husband, father, business partner, a uh, friend, any other role that I can think of. And I have long-term goals for those roles. And then each week I look and say, say, what, what do I, what do I want to do? And I prioritize, I try to prioritize which of these things are the most important. What do I value? And then I try to spend the amount of time that I want to with, you know, with those, within those roles. Now, I, I just want to say, I don't think I'm good at it. And, and it's even the harder I work at it, the more I still, I, I realize that I have a long way to go. <laughs> But I mean, that's how I do. I just, I, I look at and say, what's important to me? What do I really value? And then I use a planning tool to try to, and to try to, to try to make that happen. And then I call audibles. So yeah. if I had a, a planned meeting with, with, uh, that, that seemed really important and my daughter calls me and says, Hey dad, I need you. doesn't matter what the meeting was. I'm not going to be there. Right. So, and, and, uh, someone say, well, so you're going to break that commitment. Yes. And I'm going to apologize and try to make it up, but you know, you're trying to value like, well, how big of a thing of an issue does it have to be for your daughter to do that? If your if your daughter said, I just want to have a quick chat about something, would you do that? Probably not. Right. I'd probably say, can that wait? You know, 
an hour or two. But uh, it, I think it's I think it's realizing that you don't want a schedule of any site to determine you know what you're going to do in any particular moment, but you want your values to do it. Now, if you're asking me the question, how do I spend my how am I choosing to spend my time? Yeah, I'm. I'm I would say that even on a larger scale, how much time I'm spending with business in general or whether I'm going to grow or who I'm spending my time with or what, how much time I'm spending in leisure time, it's the same process, just on a macro level instead of a micro level. Yeah, uh, it's there's so much value in that. And I think as you get older, you kind of appreciate more that time's the one thing that you ultimately control it always. And B, it's the thing you're running out of all the time. Like you don't get more of it back. So like for me, when you, I hear you say that it is funny because I, I always will have people that want to meet and they want to talk about certain things. And I'll say, I don't like to set appointments for like, Hey, can I call you and talk about something? It's like, Hey, just text me. If I'm available, we'll make it work. Cause I'll look at it on my calendar and I'm like, oh, I don't want to jump on a call at this specific time. And you know what I mean? I'm more, I'm not as structured that way, but, and, and cause I've just learned with myself, if I have something more important and sometimes that to me is even just like, I want time to myself for right now, or I want to go to the gym and it's hard to tell somebody that wanted to have an appointment with you look, something came up. It was the gym. That's what I want to go do right now. But ultimately, so I try to like have my list of things that I do and people I want to get back to, but I've really tried to get excellent at listening to myself. Okay. Do I actually want to do this or am I doing this just to appease somebody? Because you can't, as you get older and you know, this, you just have so many more commitments. You have so many more people that want your attention and time. And so you really have to prioritize like you talked about putting the big rocks in, you try to schedule as many of those as you can, right? The, the, the important things like family and in your business meetings and everything. And then from there, you kind of let it fill in around it. You know, one of my best friends for more than 15 years, um, I had him do uh, one of these, these career nights with my guys where mm. he came in and spoke and my people weren't very attentive. And I profusely apologize afterwards. So I'll never ask, you know, ask you that again. And I said, how much did this cost you? And he goes, yeah, about 150 grand. And, you know, we, we, this is a friend who we vacation with, you know, a lot and we is a close friend group. But we have these discussions you only have with a few people. Mm -hmm. And so some of the discussions that we both talk about, and I'm going to just quote him on this one <laughs> of say, yeah. So my kids come to me and say, Hey, will you come do this? Or can you come and go on this event with me? He's looking at it and go, that'll, that'll cost me $1.5 million or that'll cost me about 600 grand. And then he just, he, 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 wants to know at least what it's costing him so he can make a conscious value decision on what's being asked of him. And it's every time he's going to do something, which is frequent. He's one of the most involved people in his children's life that I know. He's a great dad, a great father. And he's also where each, I mean, when he chooses to do something, it's six figures period, if not seven. And it was constant. And um, he knew that because he pre-thought it out and he was constantly making his value-based decisions. And the value-based decisions was, yeah, I'm gonna go do that with my son. Yeah. Well, it's, I used to know to the, I've every year I've in my business, I've calculated more or less how many hours I worked, I know, and then how much I made so that I know my per dollar average when I'm actually working. Right. And so then when people are like, Hey, can I take you to lunch? I'm like, you can't afford to take me to lunch. It's a, it's a $5,000 lunch, dude. You know what I mean? It's like, if we have a reason to do this, like, you know, then we can do it. But, but you really start to value your own time a little bit more when you see the true value of it. I had to help my business partner with this. He gets a percentage of what we make. That's how he's paid. And, you know, sometimes he'll like, he would used to do the stupid things, like run something back to the store that we didn't use. I'm like, bro, you know how much money you make per hour? Like, do you know how much it cost us for you to run that back to friggin' target and return it? I was like, we got to get it right the first time because you're too valuable. Now what you make per hour is worth 
eight times what it, you made by returning that to the target. Like if you got to go to target anyway, fine, return it. But like, my point is, is it is important to know your own value and what that is, because it's a lot easier to say no. And I think a lot of people have problems with saying no to stuff, but when you know your true value and you know, you know, like your higher purpose, it's actually really easy to say no to this because if you say yes to this thing you don't want to do, you're saying no to all these other things. Yep. And those are the things where you really, you know, want to be spending your time anyways. That is just extremely valuable advice. Yeah. Well, it's fun to watch what you've been doing, Jason. I I've appreciate all the time that anytime I've ever seen you and spent time with you, um, you guys uh, are going out here in probably in a couple of weeks, right? About a month or so. Yeah. Um, people start filing out here probably this month. And then more next month, then the next, the next. So it's just a kind of ongoing revolving door from here. So if people are interested in joining Moxie, going to do summer. So by the way, I'm going to give my pitch again. I never pitch specific companies, but I you're sitting here because I obviously have a lot of respect for you and your company. But everybody should do summer sales in one way or another. Every single kid. Like I'm drives me nuts. My nephews, I got several of them, and they're kind of not sure what to do with their lives, and none of them want to go do summer sales. I'm like, get your asses on the door for a summer and go just meet people and learn how to talk to everybody and get get rejected forty five times a day. It's really good for you. And so anyway, I give a huge plug. People should be doing this. Where can I send them? Where should they go if they're listening to this and they're interested in joining you guys? Yeah, they can They can go to just Moxie Pest Control. Uh, Google Moxie Pest Control, Moxie Services. There'll be contact info. You can go to my Instagram, uh, Jason J. Walton. You go to my any of my partners. We're, we're throughout the country. And so if you're here in the Valley, we've got an office down on uh, North Freedom Boulevard across from the Provo Rec Center. Come on in, say hey. And, and uh, we do cool events weekly and so come on in we'll get you squared away we'll see if we're a match and if we're a match with the things that we value then we'll both feel it and we'll move forward cool and anybody can come and just kind of check out your place and absolutely everyone's welcome cool thanks again man yeah thanks jimmy this has been really fun awesome Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Uh, and this podcast was brought to you by Steve DeYoung over at Trillion Mortgage. I've, I've sold thousands of homes in my real estate career, and there's nobody I trust more than Steve over at Trillion Mortgage. So reach out to him, give him a call if you are looking to f- refinance your home or to maybe buy a new property. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you liked what you heard, do me a favor. This is a, this is a free podcast. The one thing I ask of my audience is to leave me a review. This just helps me to get better and better guests to let more people know about this show so that they too can benefit from the Jimmy Rex show. Thank you again for listening and we will talk to you on the next episode.